Hello, everybody. Welcome to Getting Close with Mike Marbeck. Uh, before we get to today's guest, just a few quick things that uh, I have coming up. Uh, the Future has a show. The Future is a team that I direct at the Philly Improv Theater, and it actually stars one of our one of our guests today, Caitlin Weigel. And that will be Saturday. Uh, I believe it's on Halloween. Uh, I don't really know the time, so check that out at fitcomedy.com, as well as Stay Dead. Stay Dead had its opening weekend. It's an improvised horror comedy, which is a lot of fun, and that will be back next week on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, the 29th, 30th, and 31st at 7.30 p.m., and then there are midnight shows that Friday and Saturday. Uh, Last night's show, uh, Saturday the 24th, was an oversold show. 70 people, really fun show, so uh, get tickets in advance and um, go see it. Uh, Now, the guests today, uh, Caitlin Weigel and Dan Corkery. Hi. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, And thank you for being here. Uh, Together, they make up House of Solitude. you got a show coming up at the end of the week. Yes, Thursday and Friday at 9 p.m. Philly Improv Theater. Is that is that it for just the the two shows? Just That's the it. two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is this the first full show that you've done? No, we did a full show in April that we produced independently at Plays and Players. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, it was then, it was in May. Oh, it was in May. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how long ago. It was, <laughs> it was the end of May, so it was almost June, but it was pretty much <laughs> April. The kind of April, too. Um, and we did a full show then, and that was 45 minutes, and that was also with a cast. So we we wrote the whole show, uh, yeah. and Maggie Keegan directed it, and we brought people in to do it. But this show is just the two of us. Uh, oh. It's only 25 minutes-ish. Yeah, it's um, it's a shorter show. Yeah, yeah. because we, we, to be very honest, we can't, just, can't memorize any more. <laughs> our, our mental capacity just yeah. like stops after 25. Yeah. Um, so this is our first show at Fit, and this is our first show with just the two of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about that toward the end. Okay. Uh, now I want to start back at the, the beginning. Ooh. So Dan, yeah. uh, how did you get interested in doing any of this comedy stuff? Be it uh, sketch or improv or any, anything else? Yeah. In in college, I um, they had like a, an extracurricular night thing as soon as you got there as a freshman, and I would was walking around. And I, my girlfriend at the time was like, you should, you should do something. <clears throat> and so I like went off on my own and I walked around <laughs> from like table, <laughs> table, table. I went to the, uh, university of Delaware and there was the, um, there was an improv group there and they all seemed like the ducks, rubber ducks. What was it called? Rubber chickens. Rubber chickens. <laughs> yeah. Rubber ducky. Yeah. <laughs> Ducktown. <laughs> and I, I didn't do that. I don't know. Um, they didn't seem very like interested in having anybody sign up. So I was like, I don't know what that is. And I went over to, um, I later became friends with people, sort of, who were in that, um, well, I'm friends with them, yeah. Just not that close. <laughs> Do you think they're listening? Are you worried that they're... I don't want to burn any bridges with, uh, with the rubber ducks. If any, if any of those, uh, maybe or maybe not friends are listening, uh, send email to srmpodcast.gmail.com. We'll let Dan know. <laughs> um, and then, uh, there was the student television network table, and there was a guy there named Jeremy who was really nice, and he was like, you come to a meeting... We do all kinds of shows. He and he ran a comedy show. It was called the the Biweekly Show, and it was just a total ripoff of the Daily Show, um, and mixed with sort of like you do news segments. So you, so somebody'd be writing jokes and delivering topical jokes, mm-hmm. and then um, a lot of like making fun of like frat guys and stuff like that, um, which is totally in my wheelhouse. And then <laughs> and then it was like there was 
in-studio sketches, and then there was pre-recorded sketches. I mean, I really into that, and I kind of sat in silence. I'd be, go to the writers' meetings, and I was in like one or two things my whole freshman year. And then we had a meeting, my, beginning of my sophomore year, and we talked about doing this one thing, and suddenly I just started talking in meetings. And then, so my junior and senior year, I I, I co-ran it, and I uh, I hosted it. So I was, like, sitting behind a desk with a jacket and tie and <laughs> yeah. interviewing, like, professors about, like, uh, some book that nobody cared about or whatever. I mean, probably academia. <laughs> but it was fun. That's why I started doing comedy stuff. And that's that's the first time I performed live in front of people was in college. And it was basically just sketch comedy first. Yeah. And there would be I, – I only thought of improv comedy as something that was a fun thing that would happen in, in the moment when you're shooting something. But it wasn't ever – I didn't think about improv as a thing until I saw stuff uh, – in Chicago, I took a trip out there because I wanted to see, see Second City stuff. Yeah, and I saw Io because we had time, and I think I saw Harold there, and it was great. And then I started thinking about improv as a as a comedy thing too. Cool. Yeah, that's me. Great. Uh, speaking of the Daily Show, um, mm-hmm. uh, I remember when John Stewart was ending his run. Uh, you were, you know, you, you like you like John Stewart. You like the show and everything. Mm-hmm. How do you think uh, things are going so far with uh, Trevor Noah? I hear good things. I haven't watched oh, yeah, it. No. I haven't gotten to see it. It's you only been like two off? weeks though, right? I didn't write uh, it it's off. It's been a month or so. Oh, well, maybe maybe a bit more. Maybe I'm just a bad guy. I don't know. I didn't see it. <laughs> I haven't... I've I heard... I watched a couple segments and I liked... I like it. I mean, I like... If the writing's good, it's going to be good. Yeah. And Jon Stewart, I liked... I liked his sort of persona on the show, yeah. but it was never like, I was never like, oh yeah, do the George W. Bush impression. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was always like, yeah. wherever the writing's at. And I think the show, what I love about The Daily Show is it, it, and something, sometimes what's boring about it, or or not boring, but not great, is it sort of rises to the level of whatever the story is. So yeah. when they have like earned righteous indignation about something that's when it's at its best yeah and i'm looking forward to seeing when i finally sit down and watch it trevor noah in those situations which i'm sure if if he's Mm -hmm. had if he's been up there a month he's had plenty of stuff to get like speak truth to power about Mm -hmm. but i don't know that's that's when i like the show it's best but uh yeah i mean i hadn't i hadn't watched the daily show much in the past year i don't have cable so if i don't watch it (laughs) while i'm like making dinner on hulu then i don't see it yeah yeah uh, have you watched the uh, last week tonight? That's my like favorite show now. Okay, I think they do the best stuff. I yeah. like it's like a, it's almost like a news magazine version, like a sixty minutes version of yeah. of that stuff. And yeah. I really like how in depth they go, and I think it's really well researched and really well thought out. I think that would be the coolest thing to work for would be that show, just the prep they put into it. Right? Do you watch either of them? No. <laughs> I'm watching Twilight Zone right now, so I'm a little preoccupied. <laughs> All right, Caitlin. Uh, how did you get into this stuff? Um, I got into this stuff. I went to an arts magnet high school. I always did like theater stuff when I was a kid. I did Saturday morning acting classes because I didn't have any aptitude for sports. <laughs> uh, I was not super good at them. So I did Saturday morning acting classes. Uh, I always liked comedy stuff more, I think, if only because I just knew that I was never going to get cast in serious parts. <laughs> like no one was ever going to cast me as a lead role if I wasn't comedic. So I veered towards that. Uh, and then in high school, I... 
went to an arts magnet school, so I would do like Catholic school two, in the morning. Two references for that it's magnet important. art school. It's important. <laughs> I went to public um, school. Continue. <laughs> so I would go to Catholic school in the morning, and then I would go to arts magnet school. Tally's three now uh, in the afternoon for theater, and a lot of the stuff there was like writing your own material. So a lot of the stuff I wrote ended up being comedic. Uh, I wrote stuff for school for the, like, they had, like, a short play thing every year, and that would end up being comedic. I actually did, this one girl came in, and she had graduated from CASA, the Arts Magnet School, uh, previously, and she came in from college and did an improv workshop with us one day, because we didn't do it otherwise, and I did it, and she told me I was bad at it. Like, I was the only person where she was like, uh, Caitlin, you don't really seem to understand the rules of what we're doing, so everyone else was praised, and I was like, I really liked that, but I feel awful. <laughs> so uh then i went to temple and i like just didn't do anything freshman year i just like the, the weird scheduling just made, made me like nap a lot uh and then sophomore year i there's a kid in my dorm who i like pretty actively hated i thought he was very annoying and i was facebook friends with him and i saw that he was going to improv and i was like oh my god f this guy i hate it so i spite started doing i like tried out for the improv team just to be like this idiot's oh i hate him i'll do it i'll i don't know what this is i'll do it and i tried out and i made the team um, and then from there, I met people who did Temple Smash, which is Temple's sketch show that they do mm-hmm. in front of a live studio audience. Uh, and I just continued to be in the improv club and the improv team there and do uh, sketch stuff. I also, on a whim, my sophomore year, tried out for a fit house team uh, because, again, someone posted and I was like, this person's <laughs> going? What? I'll go to this. I don't care. And I went and I um, miraculously got cast on Asteroid and then uh, just like got sucked in real deep. Yeah, yeah you did. Stuck. Uh, for, oh, no, that's why I tried out for Damager. I saw on somebody's, it was, I saw on in Kate's email, she asked me to check something and I saw that she was auditioning. She got a, a thing about going to auditions and I was like, I didn't know you were doing that. I'll do it too. Because what else? Was I, I wouldn't yeah. have anything else to do that afternoon. Really That's nice. why I auditioned. Like spiteful, weird origins. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about uh, improv because I took some classes and it was all well and good and I got my job and I had stopped thinking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah. whatever, I'll do that too. Because otherwise I'd have to like drop someone off and like get coffee. I might as well do something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before you guys got to Philly doing comedy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, within the community, was there anything that you were doing... Or any even real particular moment where you were like, yeah, I think I, this is what I should be doing. I want to do more of this thing that I'm doing. That's a great question. I think early on, uh, I had to, I ran for student council. I was like big on student council. And I always thought I wanted to be in like, I just like leadership roles. So I didn't totally know what I wanted my career path to be, but I knew I wanted to be in charge of something. Um, and I would run for like project commissioner. I ran for project commissioner at the end of sixth grade and president at the end of seventh grade. And I won both elections. Congratulations. But thank you very much. <laughs> she, um, she was forced out of office. <laughs> <laughs> she had to leave in disgrace. <laughs> But the reason I won both elections was because the voting, you would, like, go into the the gym and all the grades would be there. So you were campaigning from first grade to eighth graders. You were campaigning through all of them. Did you get the youth Um, vote? Well, first graders, they voted as a class. (laughs) You only get, like, one vote for every first grade class. So parliamentary. Um, Yeah, right. But... 
but you would give a speech and everyone else would give boring speeches and my speeches I brought like wigs I did a bunch of different <laughs> impressions that were probably really bad uh, but I did all that stuff and like I just, what do like, one yeah. no I don't really <laughs> okay um, but I think I think that was a moment too where I was like I think I might just like making speeches or maybe just doing weird voices and I think that was like kind of uh, a thing that like tipped me towards doing more comedy stuff. no one pulled you aside and said Caitlin I don't think you understand what's happening. <laughs> You're bad. <laughs> you don't seem to understand that would come how later. this works. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got, Dan? Um, it, Caitlin's story made me think, in seventh grade, I was in... Um, You're going to plug your... Uh, I was in the Accelerated program. Oh. So it was basically... That was, that was my mouth making that noise. Uh, and I said something in class, and it was only like 12 kids, and like in... In school and in high school, it was I was in the honors AP too. I mean, if we're gonna put put all our cards <laughs> oh on the table, gosh, okay. Um, I did get a five on the AP history test, which is the highest score you can get. Freaking dork! And the first year of the SATs having an essay, it didn't count. I got a perfect score in the essay. <laughs> I wrote about my girlfriend at the time's dad. What a weird thing to write about. Well, I he uh, he motivated me. But, yeah, I, I was in class one time, and my teacher, I think it was, like, to tell me to shut up, but she was like, you're funny. And, like, that really that really threw me off. And um, But that was the first time I thought it might have been uh, funny. And then in high school, I sort of, me and my buddies were, like, the class clowns in that in that nerd bubble kind of thing. So we were, like, the, the most misbehaving ones. So I always like to joke around and stuff. And we would make videos for projects whenever we could. And making those videos, that was the first time I thought, like, I would like to do something like that. Yeah. And I sort of dismissed it, I think, because I was too boring or pragmatic. Like, oh, I couldn't do anything like that. So I said I would, like, get into, like, TV stuff in college. And then I only sort of did, and I wound up majoring in history. And then I, by the end of college, working on... Anytime I would work on a comedy project, like, shooting stuff, writing stuff... Um, and performing stuff, I would have moments of, like, I would want to do this. And by the end of college, it was how I spent all my time. Like, my grades were fine, but it was, like, already by the end. And I was, all my energy was, like, I wasn't thinking about going to class. I was, like, going to work to put on this show for, you know, the 40 people that could pack in a studio and whoever couldn't find a remote to change the channel. Yeah. On campus. That's it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, Caitlin, you did Temple Smash. You brought that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you di- Did you direct Temple Smash at a time? You I was did, right? uh, I was head writer head for writer. Temple Smash. Okay. Yeah. Um, how was that whole experience? Because there's a lot of people that are involved with that uh, in the Philly community still. Yeah. Um, uh, so is there anything, you, any, I don't know, advice for people that are involved with, with doing that or the uh, people that write for it? Maybe just about the experience? Um, it, it was it was an awesome experience. It's like how I met most of my friends in college. Uh, it was also just like something that everyone was really really excited about, which is a cool thing to be a part of when everyone is equally into it. And like I, I again, I felt like that too, where I was like, oh, I guess I gotta get through class because I have yeah. this thing that we're doing later. I also think it was a really great growth experience too, because like our writers, our writing process maybe wasn't the most healthy, but it was like really brutal and mean. You wouldn't put your name on anything. Uh, and everyone would be just like insanely brutally honest about things in a way that sometimes would do something and someone would be like, I don't think this is worth working on. Like, this is trash. Like, nope, I don't think anything's no. funny in this. Uh, so like that was like hard, but I think 
good too because I think it made me uh, like set a, a high bar for myself in terms of what I'm working on and what I'm writing. And also just like I, a couple people on the team, uh, I worked with my friend John especially. John would show up to writers' meetings with like 15 sketches while, where everyone else had four. Mm. And, uh, and then he would like self-edit stuff. But I think just also thinking about writing in terms of not being like, oh, well, I, there are there are 50 sketches that live in me total in a lifetime and I really gotta spread them out uh, and just being like no I'm writing constantly uh, and I just hit on things and yeah I'll write a lot of bad stuff but if I'm writing all the time I'm more likely to find good stuff instead of being like well I really gotta wait before I fart out the next sketch and make it good uh, so I think that like just that training really helped me I think for people who are still doing it I think it's so cool that it's still happening it's awesome I went last time and it was like one of the first times where I was like I don't know anyone here <laughs> yeah. and no one knows me and I feel like an old woman just like Showing almost crying and a little yeah. wine drunk <laughs> in the studio um but yeah i think people who are doing it it's just like don't don't underestimate how cool the thing you're doing is like really enjoy it and i think yeah it, all the times that you're like this is a huge uh time commitment and it's annoying like just appreciate that it's actually really cool and it's fun and it's putting you in a really good position to have a body of work and to make connections with other alumni through it Cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of writing sketch, do, do you bring that same process to House of Solitude? And this includes you too, Dan, mm-hmm. because you are part of that yeah, House of Solitude. <laughs> I'm a portion. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is your, your process? How did you kind of come about putting the, the show together? And did you use anything that you've previously done on shows as far as the way that you go about writing? No, we're still... F- so we started writing together around January... Caitlin was like, you should write stuff, you should start writing stuff, and then we both started writing stuff together, so it was just one of us would have an idea and type it up, and I think we still sort of like, one of us has an idea, and they write up the idea, and they we sort of pitch it to the other person, mm-hmm. and we give notes and tweak and adjust. Um, we don't sit, I, I don't, do, we never like sat together and written something, have we? No, we haven't. I think, yeah, I think face it is mostly... Face to face with desks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah. staring into each other's eyes. And One dreaming. like brother two um, type writers. Yeah. I think I think one thing that does happen though now, especially because we do work so closely on this like on projects like House of Solitude, uh, is that sometimes Dan will be like, I have this idea, uh, but we don't necessarily have a second half, and I'll be like, Oh, it could be this second half, or I'll come to Dan and I'll be like, yeah. I have this shell of an idea, and he'll come up with a second half, which is really nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think before it was like we'd have a fully formed idea, and we would just sort of lean on each other to be make sure that it got produced in some way. Because we'll yeah. do like video stuff and, and stuff like that, or we would write for I would write things for Caitlin to perform, or she would write things for me to perform. And now it's like I have an idea, and we flesh out ideas a little bit more, like a mini writers' room. I but. still think one thing that uh, that we do is we overwrite all our shows. I think we we come up with more sketches than we need, so that way we have options in terms of choosing. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like oh we have to reach eight and then we're done, and we can each have a dough nut and go to bed <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like we'll overwrite we'll show people and then we'll kind of decide what we're gonna what we're gonna kill and what we're gonna allow to live on yeah for this one we who did we ask Joe Moore uh, Sam Russell Brian Kelly and, and Maggie is sort of uh, she's not saying that she is but she's like sort of crypto directing because she's so like supportive of us sure. so she's giving us like a lot of feedback and those those guys all gave us notes on stuff because we just wanted because it's just the two of us, and we it was on purpose because the last show was a big cast, and there's lots of chance for feedback from actors. Yeah. But this one was like, we don't know what we have. Yeah. So do. so we bounced it off of people, and we just got notes from them, and that helped us decide like immediately. like As soon as there was a negative thing about something, we were like, let's just cut it. 
because we had too many sketches. Yeah, yeah so it makes it easier. Um, I think it is hard too with sketches. Like we wrote this, we wrote a lot of this stuff in like August and September, and then by the time we give it to people and like get notes on it, and now we're practicing it too. Like it, I think it's so important to get outside eyes because it starts to be like very old. Is this? Yeah. Is you don't this think good? It's cool. Are we in a weird <laughs> bubble? Yeah. Like what did we write? Yeah. We've lived with it for so long that we could put it on stage and everyone would be like, oh, okay. That was that was really just like a bunch of like third grade level writing. It yeah. was terrific. I think we're afraid of having like blinders on because it's just the two of us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the more that you do work on something without outside eyes, that uh, that's true of any uh, whether you're writing a, a film, mm-hmm. a sketch, mm-hmm. uh, performing. Yeah, and so yeah, I get that. And you guys pulled together pretty good set of outside eyes. It sounds like. Yeah, it was all, it's all people we, like, sketch people we, like, <laughs> yeah. admire and, or, or work with in other ways and stuff, and they're all great. And, yeah, I, one of the worst things in the world is sitting in an audience and feeling like you're watching somebody else's inside joke, Yeah, which, but I think there's a balance to be struck there, because if it's something that, like, that borders on an inside joke, then that means that people, the people involved are just really connected and enjoying each other, and I think... I think it comes through an improv a lot where it's yeah. like you just see people it's it makes a show ten times better to see the people enjoying each other right. yeah. but if it just becomes them just enjoying each other it sucks and I guess we're worried like we I don't want to after the show be like well you know we thought it was funny <laughs> um, so it's good to have somebody else be like no this is funny or this could be t- tighter or you know yeah. lose this yeah. or maybe what if you did this instead mm-hmm. yeah audience they didn't get it yeah, <laughs> what a flat audience. They're yeah, not on our level. <laughs> and I do think I think sometimes that is the case for stuff, right? But you sure. did more often. Usually, people are making excuse for stuff that just wasn't yeah. that funny. And you also can't do it for a whole show. Yeah, you can't, you can't write up <laughs> a whole do it show. For like a you sketch. do like a single sketch. Like, yeah, oh, you know what? It was it was high concept. I liked it. We yeah. took some chances. Yeah. <laughs> a whole show just falling flat. Though. We didn't get rewarded for taking a risk. <laughs> Cool. We'll talk a bit more uh, House of Solitude as we as we go through. I wanted to go back to uh, Asteroid. Yeah. Uh, with Caitlin, uh, I've heard you say multiple times about the audition process, <laughs> and particularly my involvement in the audition process and feelings before, after, mm-hmm. during. Uh, so could you just chat about that? <laughs> Describe the audition process and the feelings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and callbacks and whatnot. I went to my asteroid audition. I was, uh, I had just turned 20, I guess. Uh, I rolled up. I filled out my form. I had nothing to write on my form. They were like previous improv experience. I was like, I was on a team for four months at Temple. And that was pretty much it. Other people were like filling in all this stuff. I'd also never seen a fit show at that point. I just heard of them. Um, I had, like, no experience. I auditioned with this man. I don't know if you remember him, but he had white sneakers on and, like, red sweatpants and a red sweatshirt. I'd never seen him after this audition. Is he Bill Cosby? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like like Bill Cosby's casual wear. It was this man. Does he seem in Temple Breaking? He was so difficult to audition with because every scene he did at the end or somewhere in it, he would reference the sneakers he was wearing. So it was like he was there to do, like, uh, guerrilla advertising for these sneakers. Were they new? they were new white sneakers and every scene he'd just be like I don't know if you've seen my kicks and I'd be like I don't know what we're I don't know if you remember this this is my memory of the audition I don't remember that Um, but I wish that I did and then I got a call back and I went to the call back and I also was like I was like I'm just bombing all of this like I don't know why I'm here I don't know what's happening and I left and I talked to Rachel Semigrid on the train and we were both like that Mike Marbach guy 
like hates us like very actively hates both of us like there's no way I'm getting cast but I'm super not getting cast on his team it was like both of our sentiments and we kind of like shook hands on the train and we're like yeah he hates us and left uh, and then I got cast and I remember being like very confused initially <laughs> um, and I think I might have emailed you to be like are you sure <laughs> also there was another Caitlin in the group did you mean to email her uh, and then I also had this really cool move where I was like thanks for casting me by the way I'm studying abroad I'll see you later goodbye yeah. and I left for four months yeah uh, but those are my memories yeah uh, what was it that made you feel like I hated your guts <laughs> I think I think is you're not like uh, you're not an easy laugher, right. and I think especially in an audition process when you're sure. like being very discerning and looking at people yeah. uh, and kind of trying to assess, you weren't laughing. I feel I th- like Mike has laughed at a lot of stuff I've said so far. Okay, uh, well, it's all fake. Okay, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really more for the podcast. Oh, audience. is that what that button is that you're pressing? <laughs> Continue. I think it was just. I think it was, I'm going to remove it in in editing. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I think I think it's just because you're not an easy laugher, and like you do kind of have like a like a stony like demeanor in, yeah. in how you're laying. You're like, okay, that was fine, <laughs> which is I think is like a notable thing that you say in improv classes too or in rehearsals. You're like, yeah. all right, that was fine. Is it is a weird? You can note. stop this. Yeah, <laughs> great, that happened. Next thing. Um, so I think too. I think it's just because I think my personality too with improv. I'm always like, oh yay, good, great, you're doing it. And yeah. because you weren't that, I was like, woof. Yeah, that guy. He does yeah, not I'm care. not a. I'm not. <laughs> Uh, and uh, 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 it's not that I'm not an easy laugh. It's just that I, I I'm very focused on the, the the inner workings of what's what what's going on. And I, I wish that, that I could. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the, the inner workings. <laughs> uh, for anybody that didn't see, I was turning dials, <laughs> turning big dials. <laughs> now but at the time as like an auditioner person who also just didn't know like anybody and everyone's at this audition being like oh hey man what's yeah. up good to see you two sure. buddies high-fiving yeah. doing secret handshakes yeah. like everyone's buddies and I'm like oh god Keelan what are you doing you kind of stop signing up for things out of spite you kind of just yeah. stay home on the weekend. but then you find out it was like oh they're in the 101 together yeah so it's not like they yeah and you auditioned at a time where there wasn't really a prerequisite no nothing yeah um now you might not be able to. You might not have cast Caitlin Weigel. It would have never happened. Yeah, no. uh, and you were a bit of a bit of a, an issue uh, as far as um, like the decision process, um, uh, just because you were, you know were going going away. Kate, uh, Carolyn Rhodes uh, also. Oh yeah. Uh, because she was doing a uh, an internship with the Walnut or something. I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah. Uh, and the the way that I cast Asteroid was uh, talent, of course. Um, but also, but also availability, availability. <laughs> availability. Uh, and I wanted to create, uh, get people that were for the most part, very available because mm-hmm. I had a somewhat confident that I could make a good team out of people as long as they were fully available. Right. Uh, so there were a lot of people like Rachel Semigrin, uh, like Mike Hockman, uh, Becca Trabin, who mm-hmm. ended up on the, you know, the cutting room floor of Asteroid, but there was so, there was so much really, really good talent left that, that's how Mayor Karen came to right. came to be in existence. Uh, but that was also one of the issues with Mayor Karen was that because it was made up of people who were not as available, uh, the team kept changing. Um, a lot of people missing a lot of times, and the mm-hmm. cast kind of consistently rolling over. Um, so, uh, Asteroid was solid, 
Solid, yeah. Solid, solid I was the also, end. I think because I was put on your team and I was scared of you, I also, like, my <laughs> attendance was, like, impeccable. Aside from that four-month chunk where I was gone in, in London, other than that, there would be times, like, I would be at the beach and I'd be like, guys, we gotta go back. I have practice. And they'd be like, what? Just call out. And I'd be like, I can't. Like, I cannot do that. The disappointment that will be in Mike's voice on the phone, like, no. I won't yeah. do it. So it worked really well. It was very effective. My attendance was great. Which is, to be fair, uh, it worked for Asteroid. That wouldn't necessarily work for the future. And I, no. I recognize that as, as the director of the future. So my, my style for directing the future is wildly different. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, in fact, has changed. And uh, I think being able to adapt that way has also helped the future just kind of Right. Get how, better. How is it different in the sense you're more laissez-faire with just like, uh, oh, let them... Well, we have a schedule where if we don't have a show... Yeah. Uh, I recognize that everybody on the team is involved with a whole lot of things. Okay. Uh, and I try to respect that as much as possible. Whereas with Asteroid, I cast people who were not involved in a lot of things. So I stepped into a, a team where I had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a bunch of inner... Uh, issues on the team. So once a lot of those things got worked out, I just I was like, we, "This it's not working. We got to change up everything. We changed up the form. We changed up the the schedule." Um, and uh, yeah, so we have off. We have a day off the week. We we don't have a show for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, our practice is shorter. Um, we have a very relaxed practice, whereas with Asteroid, a lot of times, although toward the end of Asteroid, the end of Asteroid resembles more of what the be- the, what the future yeah. is now, um, where it's a, a much more kind of you share and then you, you do uh, scenes inspired by the shares and occasionally there's um, exercises, which mm-hmm. there's going to be more of, Caitlin. Uh, there's going to be more. <laughs> I like our practices. Uh, <laughs> I'm not complaining. I have a good time. Uh, so the... I've had to adapt as uh, a director as well, which uh, if I didn't, <laughs> future might might not be around. Future so. might be passed. Yeah, future might be passed. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 all been good. Um, and just on the the asteroid thing, any other thoughts on the the team itself? We're at, we're in Halloween. We're now three years. I know. Uh, like we we did the improvised B movie mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, any other thoughts? Any favorite moments? Ah, oh, my favorite moment is still always oh what is it now i'm not i'm not even remembering it's brent with the jetpack yeah turbo Turbo tax man uh yeah there was so much fun it was like a fun weird weird team and like a group of people that i don't think otherwise would have uh like assembled in that formation at all yeah Uh, like if i didn't make that team i i might not be doing improv i know i can very confidently say i wouldn't be doing improv at all i would be like maybe like running for office somewhere, being <laughs> which wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it was such a weird, weird group of people. And B movie was like the most fun thing to do, especially around Halloween. Even the midnight shows were like not a lot of people would be there. Yeah, yeah. It was still like maybe some of our better shows because they were just so goofy and like it didn't matter who was there. It was fun. Yeah. It was when you guys did the staged readings of. Jerry Seinfeld's B movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's exactly what it was. Over and over again. And even at midnight, like I said, like, we were different, like, different yeah, times. Let's, let's loosen up with this a little. We're reading yeah. this real serious. Let's yeah. just like have fun with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the team was, ended up being a bunch of people, or at least a handful of people that really became, um, 
very heavily involved in in mm-hmm. things. They're also now going on uh, to do great things in Philly and also New York and L.A. Jess Ross uh, and Luke Field uh, among them. Uh, uh, Bird's doing things out in in Las Vegas, uh, yeah. but comedy things in particular. There's it was a, it was a nice little little breeding ground. It was yeah. Uh, and one of the things I that still I think is pretty unique of the the team was how it ended. Um, we, we had said pretty early on that if people start to have to leave, because we were a solid core for such a long time, yeah. if people start to have to leave, uh, the team is, is done. And then there was a rapid succession, three and a half years, uh, where uh, Bert ended up having to leave, and then Luke ended up taking a job. And we were like, okay, yeah. that's it. Done yeah. and done. And then we went out on our own terms. I was going to say, we got to go out with the B movie, which was yep. really fun. Yeah. It was great. And that's three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas teams that are getting formed now, we just had auditions. Mm-hmm. They're going in with the expectation that they may have a two-year, a two-year limit. Yeah. So it's a it's a different time. Oh, cool, such a different, a different time. time. Cool. Different world. Uh, let's move over to yeah. No, was it no, to <laughs> Davinger? Yeah. Uh, so how did you come to audition for Davinger? Uh, well, you I think you had said yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just uh, why not? And then. I had an audition, and mm-hmm. I had a scene with um, Sam Scavuzzo, I think, uh, and I didn't. I didn't think the audition went well for me. I didn't expect anything, and I got uh, an email saying I got a, ca- a call back, and I was like, "Okay, cool." I didn't realize you had to confirm, mm-hmm. so I didn't confirm that I was going. So I got a call. I was. <laughs> I was. I had moved back home because I was out of college. And so I was living in South Jersey, and I was leaving Planet Fitness in Blackwood, and I was in the parking lot, and I got a call from he somebody. Was, he was forced out of Planet Fitness. Yeah, I, I was, was. I scandal. was. I was lunking. <laughs> I was lunking, and they threw me out. And um, I wrote a sketch about lunking, and Caitlin was like, "No, people know what that is." And I was like, "I think more people would." But anyway, uh, I I got a call from somebody who wound up being that person who grew up to be Maggie Keegan. <laughs> It was a child, and she was like, "Hi, I'm." Do you it's do you me, Maggie Keegan? Yeah, well, she's just a, a little kid at that point, and she was like, "Do you want to?" She was much more polite than I was saying. She's like, "Do you want to come to this? Are you coming to this?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm sorry." And I was really embarrassed, and I thought that was enough to have me not get cast. And then I felt like I felt really good about the I callbacks. Guess. Yeah. Um, well, I was a huge jerk on the phone. <laughs> What's this thing again? It's like, I just uh, lifted. Yeah, you sure. can't call me right now. <laughs> and so I, I did it, and I, f- I felt really good about callbacks. So I was like, if I, don't get, if I don't get on this, then, you know, I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> no, but uh, there, was, there was a lot of great... I had a lot of fun at the callback, and that made me sad if I didn't get cast. And I had a scene with Brian that was great, Brian Rumble, and I thought he was super funny. I actually talked to him afterwards. Um... And I remember people, the people who like sort of stuck out to me are pretty much the people who wound up being Davinger, which was really cool. And yeah, I, I, I love Davinger. And if, and if I wasn't cast on, it's the same way. If I wasn't cast on Davinger, if Maggie wasn't my director, it's not saying anything else about any any other directors, but I think if it wasn't Maggie, I don't think I'd be, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be doing improv. I wouldn't have done improv. Uh, I don't know if I'd be doing comedy there. Uh, well, she hadn't been around that long uh, no. at that time. No, um, yeah. So you, you think that if, if Davinger had a different director, you would not have taken it? Or are you saying that... Oh, no, no. I would have taken it. I just don't know if I would have had still, the... I yeah. really enjoyed the experience yeah. of that group. Okay. And um, Maggie, as a director, was very supportive. And she cast a lot of people who 
a lot of people had gone through, I think Hillary and Alex had gone through UCB and, and Jess Snow had been around yeah. all Philly stuff for a long time and Nick Muir had too. But otherwise, people like <clears throat> like me and Max and uh, Kate had been not not been pretty new to stuff. I know Kate had done some stuff, but me and Max were like taking classes and didn't really know anybody. So she yeah. got people who were relatively like, and Brian the same way, relatively new. Yeah. And she sort of molded the team yeah. in what she wanted that team to be. So the team felt very much, Davinger felt very close with each other and it was yeah. very supportive. And I felt very comfortable being goofy and I didn't have to do any kind of, and I don't, it, it might not have been any different with a different group, but that was my first group. So I think it was important. I really lucked out being with that group of people, with yeah. Maggie especially. Yeah. And I think that's the, the way to go about doing a team is, 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 is find people that are, I mean, especially in a, a situation like Philly where you have the opportunity to cast a team or, or, or fit in, in particular, we have the opportunity to cast the team is, is pick people who, uh, can hit your your vision, but you also have to understand that uh, that may not work out all the time. Yeah, uh, and you have to kind of work with what what they've what the team ends up right. doing well. Um, uh, so, any other particular moments, um, experiences in Davinger that kind of stand out for you? Um, I don't know. It was all, it was all great. I really loved, so we would have a show and it would be, it would probably be a good show, but we would all stand around at, uh, uh, O'Neill's or whatever afterwards and talk about how, how, how bad the show was. <laughs> and we felt really bad all the stuff we wanted to do. And like, ah, I wish I'd done this better. Uh, and I think that was sort of the way our team was. Yeah. Uh, and then looking back, I like that cause we also had a lot of fun and, uh, sure. got drunk and everything. But I think like the, as a team, we did some really cool stuff. Maggie had us do the... Remember, like, the 31 Heralds? In yeah. Yeah. 31 days? As many Heralds in as many days. And we did all kinds of cool stuff. And we had some shows during that time. Like, the stuff with the group that nobody really saw was great. But the shows that came out of that were awesome. And, um, weirdly, after Davinger was, um, retired... Uh, we've had like two shows since then. We did one sort of at Figment one time and we did one at uh, Fifth within like a month of each other last year. And they yeah. were our two best shows we've ever had. So it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really cool that um, the group can come back and just sort of like connect yeah. and just, I think you get so excited about playing with those people again that the shows were awesome. Sure. So those are some of my favorite memories was after we were already done. Yeah. And there's a show coming up for Fifth, right? Yeah. Friday the 6th of November, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. It's pretty much... It's everybody who's still on the, the East Coast, so okay. no Nick Mira. Which is most, no. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like seven out of nine. Yeah. No uh, no Nick Mira, no Alex Newman, I yeah. guess yeah. it would be, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Uh, and uh, I think that'll do it for the dev. Mm-hmm. It's never been said. Yeah. And I'll never say it again. Okay. <laughs> um, you are both on Triple Double. Yeah. Um, how, how did that team come about? That team was started by uh, Brian Rumble, right? Yeah. Yeah. Brian Rumble and uh, kind of approached Maggie and was like, hey, I want to put together a team uh, that like does like a consistent hour show. Um, and he and Maggie worked together and, and picked the group of us. And that was started in October 2013, um, September 2013, around that time. Yeah. And, um, and we just had our final show at Figment. Uh, and we've since then lost Brian, and we're also losing Max. So uh, we're continuing on as an independent team after that, and with four for a while, and then we'll see where it goes. Cool. Uh, so you said you do an hour show. 
Mm-hmm. How, do, how do, has the show kind of grown and changed? Yeah, because uh, I've seen it a couple times, and it doesn't seem like uh, over a few months the show kind of does grow and change. Yeah, um, how would you say that happens? It was so. I think the original thinking Brian would think of um, what I'm calling up at a. Uh, UCB. Death by Ruru. Death by Ruru. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, you come out, you maybe interview people. It's not like your fucked up family, but it's like, you in- just interview somebody, pull premise, do half your show there. And then you come out and you just do a mono scene. So that's what we did for a while. And we worked on that. We worked on each piece. And whenever you would work on one thing for a while, that would get really good. And then the other thing would feel like it was dropping. So you have to switch back to the other thing. And it's yeah. like spinning plates constantly, which is yeah. just like what everything in improv is. Yeah. And then it became... It became what it is now. Well, there was other stuff too, right? Yeah, we dropped the interview for a while because the interview started to get like, it was like pulling teeth to get people up there. And we're like, this is a weird way to start a show. We're like yeah. forcing someone to come and get interviewed. But people felt like the energy was weird in that yeah, situation. Yeah, so we dropped yeah. that and we were doing monologues. But now we're doing a 45 minute Herald, is what we're at right now. Okay. Um, so, and our thing right now too is like, Maggie's an incredible director and she has like such a wealth of information that we're kind of just like, asking her to run us through every form she knows so we're gonna do the herald for a little bit more and then i think just move on because we just want to know more stuff um so i think yeah just to like always be like stretching and growing and challenging ourselves as a group which is cool and like i think that that this like group that we're at now too especially is really interested in and kind of continuing to do that and just finding ways to challenge ourselves because we know we like playing with each other. We know we like working with Maggie. So if there's just, even if we're not doing shows regularly, if there's still ways for us to be like stretching as performers and learning new stuff, mm-hmm. then it's worthwhile for us. Uh, how do you, how do you deal with whether you're an independent team or a, um, you know, a team that's affiliated with any theater? How do you deal with losing members? It's probably situational. Like, sure. if somebody's moving, you know, that sucks. Bye. If somebody, if somebody's leaving for, I mean, people, people have always left. The people who left triple double was always amicable. Like, we don't have, I don't think we have like drama the way other groups might. I don't know. Maybe other groups yeah. don't. I don't know. But it was. It's always. They do. Yeah, they probably do. right. <laughs> they do. I, and it's, it's pretty case by case. It's hard not to be like when somebody says something like have like a gut check of like well what well why am i doing this yeah i th- and i think that's what it is i think like anytime a person leaves a group because i've been in a lot of groups where a lot of people have left um and i think anytime a person leaves a group it like i my my reaction is always like like if this isn't fun for you do something else that's fun like it, it pulls me out of it a little bit because i think sometimes i can take things seriously and be like this is great and i forget that we're doing like essentially a hobby like it's it's i'm doing this because it's fun because i like working with the people that i'm working with and so if anyone at any time feels like it's not fun or they don't like working with the people they're working with they absolutely have a right to leave like yeah. i would never and they should I, yeah and they <laughs> yeah. should like that's not going to be a great experience for me either like i would never get salty at someone for like leaving my rec volleyball league so why <laughs> am i being like well where are you going what's happening um so I think like, the most you can do when people leave is just like let them know that you appreciated working with them like let them know what they brought to the group and like memories that you have with them and then just like be nice and let yeah. them leave but it yeah. is hard I mean you agree with like it is you do have a gut check when somebody yeah, leaves yeah it's hard to, it's I've hard had not people to feel quit like things or, or leave things and I've left things and I know I've probably made people feel this way where it's like you feel like you're at some kind of party and like people are going to a yeah. People are party hopping, and you're like, well, should I still be here? Is this yeah. not a place to be? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's hard not to take it personally. Yeah. It's hard not to be like, am I awful? <laughs> Is everyone leaving because I'm terrible? Yeah, am I am not I the- funny? Am I mean? <laughs> am I too yeah. demanding am i too i take it too seriously i think you can sort of go through all that stuff but like if the rest of the group is you know all like a group like triple double it's like look at the people in that group it's all great people like yeah you know, i mean yeah. If, even if i am as bad as i think i am yeah it's they it wouldn't leave because of me everyone else is too good yeah so it's like i think you just sort of deal with it that way mm-hmm. but i think it does just like call into question like what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, also, I just have a personality where, like, I won't quit stuff. I'll stay in stuff forever. Only because, for whatever weird reason, it's been instilled in me that, like, quitting is a bad thing. Even though it's not, it's just, like, a thing that you do. Um, yeah, it just, I won't quit things. I'll sit in them until they're all dead. I'll be the last <laughs> member in every group I'm in. Just by myself. I'll bury everything. <laughs> Are there plans to add anyone to Triple Double? Possibly. We're going to see how it goes. We're kind of going to work for two months until the end of the year see what it's like uh i mean the thing is we all know each other really well i think it's always tricky to add people to a group like triple double where we're all very close and still original members um i think it's it's hard either way having been a person that was added to the future it's also tricky to be like how do i navigate the the situation and like build relationships with people who have already been bonding for a period of time before this so I think right now we're just gonna see what we're what we're like as for before we think about adding people. Yeah, yeah. I mean the future is also a, a unique situation because I don't know for for me at least. Uh, although the people that have left have been fantastic performers uh, in their own, um, like for me right now the it's it's the leaving that caused like the the real future to kind of emerge from that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think we all like especially because we had like a rapid succession of people leaving for the future. Yeah, I think we all like kind of bonded together into like a, a beautiful nugget core. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yum. <laughs> mm. uh, As a result, yeah. With uh, you coming on to the future, um, was there like hesitation to do that? Like I know because I'm, I'm part. I was part of the process. Right. Um, there, were, there was hesitation too because I was especially at a point where I was like, well, I kind of would have an easy with the, with asteroid ending. I would have an easy way to like step back from improv a little bit and kind of like just really evaluate what I'm doing and if this is stuff I want to be doing. And that was um, three and a half years. Pretty yeah. much weekly. Weekly, yeah. Uh, and it was huge. And I was With asshole Marbeck. <laughs> no. No one's ever Dis- called Discerning Lamper. <laughs> discerning Lamper Marbeck. A very long nickname. Yeah. Um, so I was concerned about that. I was also concerned about, like, the perception of being, like, well, Marbeck's just taking Caitlin along. <laughs> so it was where I was like, I don't want to be, like, teacher's pet. I want to be a cool kid. Um, <laughs> I stay in my coolest voice. <laughs> Um, so I was worried about that. Uh, and also I think I'm always just worried about coming into a team that already exists because they already have their thing. There's already like kind of like roles within the group. People have their like relationships within the group. But that being said, it was like a super easy transition. It was nice. It continues just to get easier, I think, for everybody. I think we're all very close now. Yeah. Um, and like just, I think you can tell in the way that we play with each other that we're very close. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Dan, mm-hmm. you are on Goat Rodeo. Yeah. Um, how did, how did, how did that, what happened there? write also? Yes. Yeah. I initially I was brought on just as a, a performer. Okay. Uh, I came on when, uh, Jimmy Hake came on. Uh, and Is it Hake? 
It is hake, yeah. Okay. Oh, Which I, I mean, like hacked. <laughs> he he allows he, he allows it. Doing. <laughs> he allows it, and he doesn't mind that people call him that at all. Yeah, okay. I I just found out it was hake like a month ago during our last show. But uh, I had said to because I did uh, Alley of Nightmares two years ago, and that was my first time getting back into sketch stuff. And I would like do stuff at at theme show, and I would I really missed doing sketch because it was the first thing I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, so I would like, when I like hang out with like Paul or somebody like that, I'd say like, Oh, I miss doing sketch. And I remember flat earth had lost people and I thought they were going to maybe look for people to replace. Um, so I mentioned to like, uh, Greg at one point talking to him and I mentioned to, uh, Sean Landis when he was uh, part of flat earth still like, if you guys are look, looking for like packets or something, if you want writers, I would love to do that. And talking to Paul about that, he told, uh, Samantha and they were looking for people and it was a little bit wonky with like um I think they have to like because sketch is still I mean it's like three years old at this point at fit so it's not new but like there's still precedent to be set with bringing people on so they were like you can come on as like a feature player or something like that but then it was like you can then just be in the group that's what they did with me and me and Jimmy and then at a certain point they were like do you want to write? Because they knew I did. I do other sketch stuff just on my own. Or at yeah. that point, they'd seen stuff that I would do with Caitlin, and they were just like, "You want to write?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I want to write." So I'm a writer now too, writer performer. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you just had a show, right? Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks ago. Do you know what's coming up? Because they're they're on a pretty regular schedule, right? For Goat Rodeo. Yeah. I think probably not until January. Okay. This was our last show for the year. I oh. think the the goal is something like three a year. Mm-hmm. So we did January, April, and then it was. Uh, mid-September we did so yeah we won't start again until January okay but, like I really enjoy that group of people yeah. and that was and so for me I'm that was when I was a new addition to a group of people who had been around together so yeah all right uh both of you have taught improv mm-hmm. uh is there anything that you feel you do differently than maybe other instructors anything in particular you like to focus on I don't have any, any self-confidence when I teach <laughs> okay cool <laughs> I feel like it might be different from some people, but it might be more similar to other people. Okay. Um, I think, oh my gosh, I'm like the sappiest improv teacher. I am constantly just being like, oh my gosh, you guys, you're creating a beautiful world <laughs> with each other. But I think one thing that I try to stress uh, in my improv classes too is like, oh, weirdly like empathy stuff. Um, I think improv is a really good good tool in the sense that like, it's if you're building a good character, then you're understanding their point of view and their worldview and you're allowing yourself to like fully play that and be honest with that. And if you're doing that on stage, then I think it's very difficult to go into the real world and not also do that with other people. Um, so like talk to my students about that and also just in a way to, uh, we have a lot of conversations about like, are again like I'm just like the dorkiest like hippie person in this class but talking to you about like we're if you're creating a world uh you just have responsibilities to make better worlds so like instead of relying on like doing like pretty easy like Seth MacFarlane stereotypes of stuff uh and and kind of like falling back on that or doing like crude humor it's like no like you can you can do anything why would you make these things still exist in this imaginary world you're creating make it make it better like do that um, so I think that's something that I emphasize that may be different. Uh, do you feel you bring that also to, uh, your own performance? I try to, yeah. yeah. I try to make my characters like really believe the things that they're saying and have things that are very important to them. Um, and be like emotionally responsive to other characters in the scene. 
Uh, mm. Sometimes I'm doing things in scenes that I'm like, this is so clear, and no mm. one knows what I'm doing. Sometimes I'm like, the sun in overalls, and no one knows that <laughs> yeah. I'm just wearing overalls in the back. Yeah. But um, I think yeah. you do a really good job with that. I like that. <laughs> well, not the overalls thing, you know what I'm saying? The, the empathy thing and like sort of believing what your characters say. I, I really love like authenticity and stuff, and I like when people have, and this is, I think, like uh, from working so much with like with Maggie, is like the genuine emotional responses to things so i do try to get that out of people and i do find for me the way i improvise i can sort of slip into like you can be glib very easily and you can have an audience really enjoy it depending on the audience and sort of like that i think i do i i that sort of in the same category of like a lot of stuff like that i love at ucb like the way death by ruru was a lot was a lot of like id and very like almost it's weird to say this but improv but very like macho yeah like sort of like running around and like being just like at a 10 but um i like being able to balance that with like having a scene where there's like a genuine uh emotional thing it doesn't have to be like a sad thing but right. i really try to that's my thing i always try to go back to like a touchstone for me is like oh have like a really believe what you're saying and be affected by what your scene partner says i think more importantly that's my favorite thing to see in shows like you can you can have a scene on the moon and stuff like that but if people are like really affected by the news from ground control or like whatever happened that's much better i don't know yeah uh kate and i've heard you say many times uh don't be coy yeah what does that mean um, that means, I think, especially in improv, like, you're, you're already working with so little, like, literally nothing, except for the two people on stage, uh, that it's just, just say things. Like, I get very, very annoyed when people are kind of flirting around their premise yeah. or what they want from people. <clears throat> like, the easiest thing is just, I, and I, I know some improv teachers disagree with this, too, uh, but, like, I'd rather someone come out at the top and be like, I can't believe how big this Cabela's is, uh, instead of, like, kind of trying to do context clues to get it. Yeah. This is an audience, too. I'm like, I don't want to watch you guys try to figure out where you are for 45 seconds. Like, that's too long. Yeah. No one's going to remember that you guys were, like, a little clunky in the top of your scene. Right. So I think always just, like, say the thing, because then you can have more fun with it as than if you're, like, trying to play freaking guess who on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... I had we did a uh, damage digital workshop with Will Hines and that was his big thing for us is like stop stop being coy right now. Um, but do you think that's because people are? I don't. It's it's probably different in every situation. But people aren't like purposely being cute with their initiation. Always sometimes they don't know right. Right. So I think so. Times I've been coy in scenes is when I'm when usually when I don't have anything at all and I'm trying to. F- figure it out i think beginner improv and i think there's a fear a fear of like i'll um spend my load at the top <laughs> and, and i won't have anywhere i won't have any i'll run out of everything you think yeah. that's what being coy is uh i think i think too for like beginning improvisers too if i stop someone in my one-on-one and like they're being coy and i ask them like what are you trying to get they can tell me what they're trying to do yeah. i don't ever think it's like a lack of information i think it's sometimes people being like i don't want to put too much out there i'm like no you're building from nothing you have yeah. to put something out there if you ask people what they're trying to get from their partner they know what it yeah. is so just say what it is because yeah. um, otherwise it's just like it's very boring uh, one of the things I quote since uh, I've heard uh, her say it Rachel Mason when she was out with Susan Messing in mm. July 
says you got to approach an improv scene as you and your partner against the fact that you don't have a script. Yeah. Uh, so get out as get out the information, help each other out, and then you can you can play. Uh, how do you balance the discovery aspect of of improv with coming in with something? Um, I think that's a good choice. Well, I mean, I think you're you're always gonna th- there's a built in mechanism where it's never gonna be too much of you coming in with something, right? Because you're with another person, mm-hmm. so you're never gonna be able to come in with a fully fleshed out thing because you're already just coming in with one thing to offer someone else and know that there's a balance within there. I think also too like it's it's the coming in with like your base stuff like really establishing your your base reality so you can have discovery moments if you're not doing that then i think it's really hard to get to a discovery place because not everything can be just like discovery as it goes along if you don't have a base reality for you to function from and pull from originally yeah i mean well what what you do very well caitlin as an improviser and what i think sort of we we start to do in triple double and it's it can be bad to just fall off on on tangents because then you drop your thing but having a balance of caitlin will have she'll be very specific with her responses in those things there will be a premise sort of there and then the groundwork will be there and then she'll say something about like um her like clark's boots or something like that and that that'll be like this this specificity from something like that Mm. can be this nice different way to go to sort of just flesh out a scene so yeah. I think that's where sort of that stuff comes from. Yeah, I think and I think that's what it is. Like it's oh, it's making choices at the top and like making choices until you get to a point where, where you're both offering things and you've built this. Then now you can have like that's the now you can do the fun stuff. And that's where you can discover and have these like weird little side bubbles that go off. And yeah, and back sometimes in. somebody like like Frank Farrell will say something that is so outrageous and i like i feel like whenever i have scenes with frank and he says something i love jumping on those things and being like what did you just say and then if the scene has to become about that i think it has and that's like the discovery thing and with your if you're in a group if you're running a harrow or something like that depending on where you are you've got more show to come back to those things too yeah. so if there's like a big discovery i do enjoy when people honor that because people sometimes people say crazy stuff in improv and if it's not even if it is invented, like Frank's stuff isn't invented. It's all like, it just, it comes organically, but you do have to address stuff. So I don't like when people, if somebody says something, and this is a thing when the times I do coach or teach, like somebody says something like, Hey, that, if you just said that you're not wearing pants, you can't just keep going. You have to, you, you got to respond yeah, to that. Yeah. Like that's gotta be a thing you gotta deal with. Yeah. Okay. You said it. And it was like, it didn't make sense because you were in a bank or something, but like you can't just be like I'm, the, the the scene partner can't be like, oh yeah, uh, great, me neither. Uh, you have to treat it as a real, authentic thing, right? And if it becomes about that, so be it. If you have enough show and your team is is well enough connected, you will pick up the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my two cents. Yeah, good two cents. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at as far as instructing goes. Um, the idea, like you get, you gotta offer a lot more. Uh, yeah. When I was trained at, uh, when I was going through IO, uh, it's m- it's a much more discovery sort of sort of thing, but you still have to be adding, adding things. Uh, when I play with Kristen, it's a, it's a very different type of, type of thing uh, where it's, it's much more organic. Nothing is, you can't pre-plan, you can't premise things, but even in that, it can't just be all weird sounds and, and motions. Yeah, which I think is a huge thing when people are like, 
I think when people imagine themselves in organic like scenes, they imagine themselves in like a white space with just them and their partner <laughs> and walking around. And... Well, and they're just like, but they like find one tree and then they find like a ball behind a tree and they're doing <laughs> that. And, so, and like that's not what it is. You're still making choices in an organic scene. You're just coming to them differently than you would mm-hmm. if you were coming in with a premise. So yeah. like I think everyone needs to. This is, again, I'm explaining weird parts of my brain, but instead of, like, imagining you and your scene partner in a white space, I think you need to get yourself in a place with, like, real things and real situations as soon as possible so you're both picturing the same scene that you're in. Mm -hmm. So then you can have more fun in that. Yeah. Like, you're saying people are too passive in organic stuff? I think people sometimes mistake organic for being, like, ooh. There's nothing here. Yeah, we're really finding some stuff together. (laughs) And you're like, no, you still have to make choices. Like, you're still doing improv. You're just not pulling premise. If you're that weird character you got to discover where that why is that character weird yeah, yeah. because it's it's in a bank and it's not yeah. and exactly it's not you still pants. exist in a real space yeah you don't exist in like a white endless studio yeah any other things that you feel you stress as uh, as an instructor or maybe even as a performer um i mean this is a sidetrack but one of the things about you caitlin i feel like sometimes or a lot of times when you go into a scene, <laughs> you, you might you can go on and on and on. You yeah. you you have these moments where you just do these uh, almost walking toward the camera monologues, um, which <laughs> are fantastic, <laughs> uh, which are great. Um, but uh, is there anything you feel you uh, kind of focus on as performers or as instructors? I think as an instructor, I very early on. I love the the adage that like you're existing fully for yourself when you you're existing at your highest level when you exist for someone else outside yourself uh so just the idea that like your job is to make everyone else on stage look good and do by doing that that means that you're not making jokes and it means that like everyone else will pick you up and carry you in the same way so i think that's a really important again super hippy dippy uh mantra that i try to instill in my students early Mm -hmm. on and that i think about a lot do you uh we'll get back we'll get back to you in a moment dan Mm -hmm. uh is that what you kind of deal with with uh, outside voices? Uh, yeah, with outside voices and with Bill Parks too. We've done like some exercises where uh, you could, like someone is like guardian angel for someone else in a scene, mm-hmm. uh, and they, it's their job. Like you exist for the, like you have a dedicated person that I want you to exist for in this set, and this is your person you're looking out for. I want you to take note of what their character is missing, what they need from you, like if they need a want, if they need more information on their background, and just like take care of that person, but really focus on them kind of thing. So I try to bring that in a lot, because I think it helps people, and I think it helps them get out of their head. I think it's so much easier for a person to make a choice because they're like, oh, my teammate, they have no idea what their job is. Oh, they have no idea what they want in this scene. I'll make that choice than it is for you to make a choice for yourself. You're not as worried about it for yourself. And then you can kind of let it fall to the wayside. So I think it's also, it just takes some pressure off people when they're early improvisers too. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I mean, the coaching, teaching thing isn't so much my uh, forte, but I do think that one thing I enjoy trying to make happen and seeing, because it always does happen, is... um, if you tell somebody to go on a rant, like in this exercise, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start at a uh, clock and you're going to go for, you're going to talk for a minute. Um, I think people, I like seeing people surprise themselves and I do very much believe that people do have, have everything and they, they don't know until it sometimes just comes out of their mouth. So that's something I like. I really enjoy seeing that in people because whenever you tell anybody to talk in a scene and if, if you, especially if there's some like, character work in their sort of earlier instruction and stuff like that they have a baseline knowledge of improv if you tell them to start talking and 
and they can incorporate stuff from like their life and feed that character um that's really rewarding to see i like seeing that in people and i do think people even as individuals can sort of if you're stuck i think a lot of times something to do is just start talking and caitlin does that that's what caitlin does with those monoliths not that you're stuck but like you just see kind of see an opening and go for it Mm -hmm. um because you can do it, but like having the awareness that like I think a lot more improvisers can do that yeah. than than they realize, and I like seeing that uh, come to fruition for people. Cool. Yeah. Uh, there was a I think everybody on Triple Double. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a stacked team. Um, uh, you two, Corinne Wells, Frank Farrell. Uh, is that what's is that what that team is right now? Now yeah. now yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one show I saw that uh, everything you're talking about, I think, was w- was hit. Uh, it was a few weeks ago, uh, and Dan, you were the father, I think, of Frank Farrell. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to be he wanted to be he w- he wanted to be older than he was, and doing doing big things, doing Aww. surgery, doing um, signing bills. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a president. Yeah, yeah, uh, kid president. Uh, and there were so many just very small details of. Of things, I remember you going over to his uh, little kid podium, like or, or a kid table, and like, what is this? Nine with the same pen? What are you? Yeah. Are you signing? Are you signing yeah. bills? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think everybody, each thing you're talking about, I think each person on triple double uh, kind of has that in in spades, which is why the the team itself uh, is as a group so good. Uh, there is plans to keep doing something with triple double, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we at least have uh, our practices, like, all scheduled. We're still practicing as a group. We're in verses still, uh, right. trying to get that big old bell. Yeah. Uh, and then we're trying to work out a, a show with playback. This We'd have a regular show with them starting in 2016. Cool. Thank you. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, speaking of verses, uh, they have you give something that is, like, your prized possession, right? Yeah. What did you, what did you guys give? Oh. It's our most prized possession. I found an old postcard from <laughs> that we made to promote stuff, which we had printed, and then, and then Brian left the team. <laughs> it was like the same so, week. <laughs> it's all the original. It's all the original members, and it was going to be. It was just me, Frank, and uh, Max in that show. And I said, "What do we? We got to bring a thing, right?" And so I brought that card, and we signed it. No, I didn't sign it. There was a really nice note from Max picked uh, Rhea Perlman. <laughs> and it was like I don't know. of TV's cheers. Yeah. It was like it was like cheers to you. It was like a bad pun and it was like Danny says hi. So presumably this is before their tragic divorce. Um yeah, that was our prize possession. It's autographed. Yeah. Wonderful. Um this is uh, this was a big audition weekend for for Fit. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin, you direct Outside Voices, as mm-hmm. as we've said. Uh, is there anything that when you were casting Outside Voices uh, that might be good for people that might be listening that auditioned that did or did not make callbacks or will or will mm-hmm. not make a team? Uh, I think it, I think it's important to remember is also, and I think it's hard. Uh, it's hard to cast a team. It's hard to audition for teams. But I think a thing to remember is that you're you have to think like the people who are casting are casting a team so if you don't make a team it's not because you're not a good player it's because you might not have fit in with that formation of people like they're looking to cast a cohesive nine people and like sometimes people are incredible players that just maybe that wasn't their team 
Um, so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Also, and I told this to some people yesterday, I was like, open up your availability. Yeah. Like, if you have yep. if you have a bunch of free weeknights, I will guarantee that like there's going to be casting decisions that are made because someone's like, well, I can't take this person. They're out. Uh, can't practice any day except for Tuesdays, and that's not our practice time. Yeah. And then people don't get cast that way, so open up your calendar that's how i got cast yeah it sounds like uh davinger to an extent uh asteroid almost fully uh so yeah i think that's one of the issues with with philly it's so easy to get involved in in a lot of things and it's it's people like getting involved people like getting asked Mm -hmm. but pick projects that you are passionate about not just because you're you're asked to do it because the the availability is huge yeah huge Huge. Uh, any other thoughts on outside voices? Um, no, they're lovely. They're great. <laughs> they're so much fun. They're coming up on their two-year anniversary. Yeah. I told them. I, I told you the story, but I posted in our group. Like, guys, uh, find a date that works for your for your to celebrate your like two-year anniversary. And they were all like, "What do you mean a date? Like a person? Like a person we know? Or like our girlfriends?" Which and I was like, "Oh, you big dumb dumbs! No, like a calendar date." Um, but they're great. Yeah, they're good. We like keep moving around and trying to like try out different forms uh but i think they're really strong in the herald now and just kind of crushing so Mm -hmm. they're all just so weird and funny and goofy uh another question about the the coaching directing of of teams uh you coach and direct the team and then they perform whether you're at the show or not your name is kind of attached to it yeah uh how does that feel uh, <laughs> I mean, especially outside voices when they started had a tendency to go blue, which is something that I feel strongly like I I I don't ever go blue. I think in shows, you fucking baby. <laughs> I just don't because I'm a good girl. Um, I don't go blue in shows, and and the fact that like my team was very blue was something that I felt like weird about. So it, it, it's such a balance too, because I'm like I don't want you guys to all just be like clones of of the style that I like of improv like I want you to be yourselves and I, as yeah. a director and a coach I want to like mold you into something that's like the best version of all of you guys working together yeah. Uh, but yeah we have a strict benching policy on Outside Voices now after one show that like some awful stuff went down and like they know now if they say something that is is like that they wouldn't say to their mom like they're benched for the next show they can't do it we've never had to put it into effect because people are very very aware of it and we'll talk about it after where they were like oh i almost said this and then i caught myself but yeah i think because it's something that i'm like my i'm affiliated with yeah. i can't tell all my one 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 students like i don't want to hear any butt talk right. And then yeah. they go see a show, and they're like, "I watch your team, and I wouldn't shut up about butts." <laughs> so. And I think that's good to have uh, your team be good without that stuff, because it will yeah. go over with some audiences, and it will be easy. Um, but it also opens you up. Like Asteroid, rarely, rarely ma- yeah. even cursed, uh, did anything blue, and then it also, which made the B movie kind of thing extremely easy right um and it was at 7 30 so it's like a family friendly thing too yeah um but you can have it in your back pocket and use it in a well, emotional i was gonna say situation. my biggest thing is like no butt without heart so yeah. like <laughs> no butt without heart. like you can't start, that's like, a bumper sticker doing, right it's gonna be on like trucker hats everywhere put it on uh, pillow <laughs> but, but yeah like i'm like you're allowed to go on tangents about about whatever you want mm-hmm. as long as it's like emotionally driven as long as it's coming from a place that that's what your character really believes and wants yeah. but if that's not the case if you're just doing it to do it take it take it out of here yeah. Dan 
well, as far as the name thing goes, I, <clears throat> I do think, so, uh, we, people don't really get paid for this, or at least not paid, like, right to, you know, it's not your living. Maybe some people it is, I don't know. Um, but, like, there's, it's not, people aren't doing this because it's just a job. Right. You care about it. And I think nobody's going to really get, I hope somebody does, like, in Philadelphia, you're not going to get discovered and famous and have that be your career arc, like, from Philly. Yeah. I think, I don't know, and I'm not trying to diminish what we do here, but, like, no, you're, I, I'm just, I, I'm I, just I, saying, like, I think yeah. your name is all you have, so I totally get that. Right myself. now, I don't see that being a likely possibility. Yeah, no, I think no. down the line, sure. Yeah, but not yeah. as stuff continues to happen, and yeah. the people who do cool stuff and get exposure, right. but they insist on staying in Philly. Yeah. Um, sure, but, like, I think right now all people have is their names and their reputations with, like, a relatively small group of people because sure. a lot of audiences for things are people are, you know, your audiences for each other's shows, and you want that to continue to change, and you want to bring people who just want to see good live comedy. But, yeah. I mean, for now, it's kind of that. So I, I just, I totally agree with the idea of, like, your name is what you have with this. Yeah. So I could totally get not wanting your name attached to something that is not good. Or that is just, I don't know, maybe blue if that, if that like, whatever your values are, yeah. I, I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on, um, you know, general improv philosophies or... Uh, no? No. I okay. heard it. I struggle with improv. What do you mean? It's trouble? Well, I mean, I don't have so my sort of my improv life now is triple double, yeah, and that's it. There are less, especially with uh, Figment going away, and the last sort of year of Figment, it went away. There was a in the beginning of Figment, Davinger had been cut, and I didn't have anything going on improv wise besides triple double has been my constant for two years, yeah. So, and Maggie reached out to like she would send emails to I don't know a ton tons of people saying like bring bring me a show. And people would or they wouldn't, but a lot of times she would say, like, I need, I would like you to put together something. So I got to be very experimental, and it just sort of became me just playing with different groups of people Mm. who I thought were, like, great, or I thought were, like, I haven't played with them before. And that was a great, that was, like, my sort of, one of my favorite times with with improv was that, and I don't, I I just have triple-double. And if you're not in, if you're not in, like, the fit improv bubble... Mm-hmm. I think you don't meet people yeah. as they come through classes and as they get on these like Wednesday teams because there's a lot of teams. So people don't really people don't really know you. Yeah. So I I don't I don't feel that many. And I guess like I could change that if I had more time in my life. But I enjoy doing the sketch stuff. Yeah. But like so improv, I, you get very insecure about it, right? Because you feel like you have like a Saturday night house team and there's like a packed house and a lot of it is students or people who like. It, they really want to be there themselves and they really admire what they see on there mm-hmm. and then you go somewhere else and it's like a smaller crowd and so it's like you wonder am I, am I good was it was the stuff good or was it just I was in this like safe place yeah. to, to do this so I, I waffle with improv and like I think I'm probably my own like, uh, like self esteem issues but so I'm always like weird about improv it's very easy to get insecure about it sure those are my thoughts on improv. <laughs> just, I get. I think what I'm saying is like. I think I'm always just checking myself where I'm at with it. I'm trying yeah. to figure out where I'm at with it. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, in a weird way, just kind of if, if 
for the for the the twelve people listening, uh, there's more than that. Um, it's actually just me twice, uh, over and over. Um, uh, that probably that statement probably helps a lot of people because I know that there's going to be a lot of people that listen to that and actually look up to to you, uh, and they're going to be like, "Holy shit!" And Quirkery is insecure about this. Oh, I feel you know? horrible about stuff. Yeah, yeah horrible about <laughs> sketch stuff too. But like, no, and I do think I think other people feel this way, and I think there's a weird sort of. There's a life cycle, and it's not fit, I don't think. I, but I do think, like, you come up through classes, you take a few classes, you become very enamored of it, and you really look up to the people on teams, and then you maybe you try out or you don't get it. And then, if you, But if you get on a team, you become one of those people. And then you, the, as the team goes on, depending on your team's relationship with the theater, probably dictates what you do with the theater and yeah. the relationships that you make with people outside of your team. Sure. And you either sort of stick around the theater or you want to explore other things or you want to do other comedy things like doing sketch or something like that or trying to do stand-up and branching out that way. And it's just, there's like a, a life cycle that people go through. And I think mm. when your team goes away, if you're not somebody who's like picked up for another team, then with fit, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm boy, I, I thought you thought you did all this cool stuff and it's like, Oh, did that matter? Yeah. That and it's like, the truth is probably not too much. But that you don't have to get you don't have to get so bummed out about it. Right. But it does become like, ah, uh, I thought, I thought it was I thought it was really good, and yeah. then like, uh, my my phone has not rung to, to do a show, <laughs> yeah. and that's something I've sort of been feeling in the past like year or so is like, if you don't create opportunities for yourself to perform, then you won't perform because it's not gonna the world doesn't stop. And be like, boy, we we miss we miss Dan. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think we like a lot of us admire each other, and we do love each other as performers and stuff like that. But everybody's very in a I think a, a healthy capitalistic way. Everybody's very self interested with this stuff. Sure. Um, so people are going to keep going. Like if you don't do stuff and if you don't actively create opportunities, like we produce the show this last show in May independently and like it was really nice because it wound up being around close to like a hundred people yeah in the um just in just two nights of a show and that was great to do that work and have that happen but like I if if we didn't write that show and we didn't do that show that show wouldn't have happened yeah which is you know it's rewarding too but it's also you know it's, it's yeah. done when it's done yeah I've had discussions with Joe Moore where he says that it seems like people aren't creating as much uh, because of things like uh, ready-made things. Uh, are, they can just show up and do something. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a lot of work to create something. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's also, it's higher risk, and I don't know if it's a higher reward. Yeah. I think... You know, after that show, I had a, basically like a hangover because we put a lot of time into sure. it. And I've talked to uh, Paul about this. Um, and I think like Paul and I and uh, Rob, who are like two guys who got me into sketch and Philly and who I, I look up to immensely. Paul Trigg and, uh, and Rob, Rob Banowitz. Banowitz. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, they sort of, they'll be the same way where it's like you put this work into something and then there's like this, this drop off. Yeah. Yeah. And you just get like, you get depressed and like, well, what was that for? Because, like, it was, it, it is great that people came out, and I do hope that people enjoyed it. But it's also like, you know, could I go and, you know, just hop on a, a panel show and, like, not prep or hop on an improv show yeah. and 
and you know just do that and it could be the same size audience and people could get just as much out of it so it's like what am i doing this yeah. for what did i yeah. what did i just walk around aidsturf looking for a gavel for an hour which <laughs> is what we did before we came here yeah um so i don't know yeah it's it can be very wonder daily why you do it yeah yeah, yeah. I don't we're know. like we're a really fun we're a really fun sketch duo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are we doing this? Well, one of us will feel that way, and the other one will tell them not to feel that way. And I think ninety percent of the time it's me feeling that way, and Caitlin but that pulling me sometimes. up. But she does make the most of that ten percent. I think yeah. of being uh, the one, the one who's bummed out. Yeah, I think uh, what you said is like a podcast in itself. Uh, there's a whole lot of a whole lot of things in there from. Uh, fit or any other theater, yeah. doing a better job of holding on to people that are uh, that are very good performers. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think it's a fit specific thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't theater. know what the response. I don't think there's a responsibility of fit. I did hear something at anybody who's like a, a company member who's listening who was at that meeting. They do. They might have something in the works because Corinne brought up this mm-hmm. this specific point. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what that would be. But yeah, it is a it's a weird thing to feel like. And I think it was just like that was a bigger version of like what happens when you put on a, a sketch show. It's like there's a hangover afterwards, and it's like, yeah, ooh. And I, I haven't been going to other shows for a month, and I haven't been like connecting with people after a show, and them being like, oh, you know, I got something coming up at you know Philomoka next week. Do you want to hop on? Yeah. You don't have those relationships because I've been I was you know in my house uh, or at a coffee shop making like a cartoon for this show that we're doing you know what i mean yeah Yeah. so you just don't have that and it's like oh why i sink time into this thing and we just we really hope this show this week is okay (laughs) (laughs) the bar is like very low yeah yeah we hope hope it's passable yeah uh how what what's like the 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 running time on it how how much we're like 25 minutes. 25 minutes, yeah. yeah. And you have, uh, is it Jake doing, Jake Matera? Yeah. doing our stand-up. Yeah, he was That's each great. of our, uh, He's our number first guy one we pick. thought of. Because we he's like just, him a lot. He's fantastic. He's very he's funny. Best. He's got a really good I, presence. I, yeah, I mean, uh, you don't hear, and I've said this before, but you don't hear so much of, like there's some certain people in Philly that you see their name around all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, his isn't one of them. And I, that blows my mind. Yeah, because he's, uh, he's so good in each thing that I've seen him do. Yeah, yep. uh, whether it's a, a sketch uh, or eighteen uh, sixteen, yeah, fit team he's on. His stand-up's very good too. Yeah. and he and he does different things. And yeah. I do love when people do more than one thing. Um, nobody's obligated to. If somebody wants to be a great improviser and that's their thing, and they treat it as an art form and take it seriously, yeah, that's great. And if somebody's that way with stand-up, that's great. But it is neat to see people like Jake, or I think of like. Like Daryl Charles, like guys who I think are super funny, and they yeah. do each and every one of those things, yeah. and they yep. do it a lot of the time on a given night. It might be better than people who just chose the one thing, which yeah. they're just like a lot of super talented people. Sure. Um, the the other thing that was kind of a little bit in what you were talking about is the idea of uh, even crowd size. Even if you have a great crowd, and having yeah. that thought of like, why am I why am I doing this? Um, yeah. I think even since the asteroid days I, and uh, even with the future, um, we can have a sold out crowd at fit, uh, that is, I don't know, like 70 or so people, but 70 people saw you mm-hmm. do that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you can make a video, which house of solitude has, has done and you do like the sketchier, mm-hmm. uh, things and that opens you up and puts your face out there for a hell of a lot more, 
more people. Right. Um, so theoretically, yes. Yeah. Well, theoretically, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, almost, well, I mean, theoretically, but also um, realistically, yeah. Too. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so, is the thinking behind that that this just works better as a video, uh, or that I'm I'm going to make this video so that more people can see what we do. I think sometimes two sketches like is difficult because it takes so long. Like every, at least for me this year has been like a very impatient year where I'm like, everything takes so long. Why is it as far as putting up a live show, as as far as putting up a live show, like it just to coordinate with people for schedules to book time to like do the production, but it takes forever. I think for us, when we do video sketches, I think a lot of the times it's because we're antsy. Yeah, we get, because we're just like, we need to do a thing. What are we doing? Um, and it's just itchy and we want to just do that. And, um, but then we'll get to the point where like, okay, well we keep just putting these things out. And it's great, and you know, you know, if it gets a couple hundred views, that's awesome. Mm. But then it's like, well, we want to, we want to, it's a thing, and then yeah. we go back to, and we want to do a show again. And I think especially with our live sketch, like we really like the idea of having like a very cohesive show. Yeah. Um, so even our show, we're doing this Thursday and Friday, like all exists in the ver- in the same world in the, the same location, same town, same town. <laughs> um, so we're yeah. So I think for that, we like the idea of doing something longer form that we can kind of have control over there's some great things we can do with that but anytime we do a video sketch it's because we're like oh my god what have we been some doing? stuff we've done had to be videos though yeah like we true. did the um the your body changed are all like very specific videos. yeah things. a lot of that was based on like the graphic stuff and like mm-hmm. the style of looking like an old vhs that you found and then like we did one that the buzzfeed one yeah which was like graphic specifically for that and needed like a lower third and because it was like a, it was a parody of those videos. So like some stuff just works better as a video. And we both, even professionally, work in video. Yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so it's like her. Uh, we just like, her, we just like that stuff. Like, yeah. and if I get a chance, if I have an excuse to try to make a cartoon or something, like I'll do that because that's my yeah. favorite thing anyway. Cool. Yeah, and I think it's too because we're just we're always writing stuff. Like we're always working on stuff. We are impatient about. Yeah, we're not patient. Yeah. I want to try to be more patient as a, I guess, a, an artist, for lack of a, a word that I feel less weird saying. You're an artist. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do want, I do like, and that's what this show is sort of an example of, too. It's like sort of sitting on something and like doing it all the way. Yeah. And not just like, all right, let's just put something out. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I do like when people put work into things because I notice as, as an audience member, I want to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. It's uh, October 29th and 30th at 9 p.m. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Jake Matera opening uh, and Stay Dead at 7.30 p.m. leading into it. So if you're going to see that, definitely stick around for these uh, two awesome performers, House of Solitude, Caitlin Weigel, Dan Corkery. Thanks for uh, sitting down. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having us. Thanks for getting close. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Any awesome. time.